Welcome to Locala Podcast. This is episode 34. Not that I don't love what I do. I really love what I do. But I definitely, I always give this when, when young people ask for advice, like, I'm like, the biggest mistake is not having the confidence that, that I made personally, not, and I don't know what everybody's doing, but not having the confidence to really go for it because... In the beginning, when you're young, you don't have so much responsibility, so you can make those sacrifices. So you can spend 100% of your time, if you're focused and driven, in building yourself up as an artist. Welcome to the Locala Podcast. I'm Taylor Strickland, a writer here at Locala Magazine and your host for today. Today on the couch, we have... Jessie Miller. And before we get to her, if you enjoy our content, please be sure to hit that like button and subscribe to all of our social media and check out our website. Hi, Jessie. Hey. Thank you for being here today. Oh, I'm excited. Thank you for inviting me. So, Jessie, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do in the community. Well, that's a lot. I'm No, I'm an artist and um, a graphic designer, a creative director, you know, um, I am a business owner. So all of it is media and art related in one way or another, visual communications. Um, I have a company called Little Black Mask Media. And through that, I, I have my clients that create Ocala Magazine. I do Go52, the event site, and um, River Phoenix Center for Peace Building. A lot of uh, peace building clients, nonprofits, the arts, things like that. Mm-hmm. So branding and design and event design and things like that. So sort of like the visuals behind a lot of the businesses that happen. Very cool. Are you from Ocala? No, I was. Um, I'm from the world. <laughs> I was. I was kind of raised by hippies and traveling around, right? And uh, but I moved to Ocala 20 years ago. So my kids were born and well, they weren't born here, but they were babies and they were raised here. Um, so it, they feel like they were born and raised here. Um, so 20 years, yeah. So all the places that you had lived, what made you settle in Ocala? That's a good question. Ocala is really um, a lovely town. I mean, it's it's you could say it's limited in its size, but the truth is it's it's so beautiful. When I got here, I was like, well, there's a symphony, there's a museum, there's a really, you know, I mean, it's world class. It may be kind of small, but it's still a good symphony, a good museum. And um, <laughs> I remember going, there's two Indian restaurants, a Thai restaurant, there's some international things I can t- I can cope. Um, and I just think it's an hour from all anything else that you want to do that isn't here. And really, the truth is, I'm enchanted by the trees and the people because the community... I mean, I'm sure everyone says this all the time, but that's one of the coolest things here. I went into the DMV when I first moved here, and we were all joking, and it was nice and pleasant. And that's just the crazy thing from being in any other place. Like, a DMV is the worst place you ever want to go, but everyone's so nice here, that southern hospitality. Yeah, I know you said that some of the places you'd been were Hawaii and Central America. And I suppose for someone who moves around a lot, having that small-town connection between people can be really nice. That's really astute. That's exactly true. I don't think that I have a community throughout my life that I can speak of. It's just the whole world, kind of. Yeah, all the countries in Central, not just Central America, but Mexico, and then every country in it, all the way down to Panama, we spent time in, and then Hawaii, we spent time in, in the Caribbean, and um, 
Las Vegas, Kentucky, Key West, Fort Lauderdale. I've just, I was born in Oregon, California, Palm Springs, so many places I've lived. So that does speak, I think that does speak some truth to say that I liked having a community around me and feeling like I was growing roots Mm -hmm. for the first time and giving that to my kids. Have you traveled since then with your kids or without them? A little bit. Um, financially, I don't think it's the same as in the 70s to drag kids around. <laughs> I think now I'm like, it's really expensive to put two kids and myself on a plane or and stay somewhere and everything. But we've definitely done a little bit. Um, I've gotten, you know, I've gotten out of the country a handful of times since I've lived here. I do love traveling. I do think it's the best education for sure. There's a quote somewhere out there, and I think it's more valuable than school in many ways. I also think especially that's true for an artist. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Where the world is your um, inspiration. Mm-hmm. So did you pick up art as you were traveling, or was it something that you always carried with you? How did that start? That's interesting. I don't. Um, I feel like I was born loving art and felt that every little doodle or coloring book thing I did was art. <laughs> like I must have had some sense of pride in that. <laughs> I don't know why. So I felt like I was an artist even when it wasn't anything uh, professional or commercial or, you know, real. Um, and I don't know that I made that choice until later. I think that there was part of me right after high school where I thought I'd like to be an actress, but I'm probably always going to be chubby and that's too hard to do it. Or I'd like to be a fine artist, but people starve when they're artists or, you know, none of these things I enjoyed seem practical. So I went into advertising, which is creative, but a little more professional and practical. And lucrative. A little bit more lucrative. I said, you know, there's a debate to that in in the 30 some years that I've been doing it. It's uh, it has a ceiling unless you're in a really huge company. Mm But it's definitely a good living, you know, a solid living, and it's fun, and you're always telling someone's story, and um, branding-wise, I I mean, I was in ad agencies for about seven years out of college, and one day I was like, I'm just selling, I'm making things people throw away, like a brochure or an ad, or, and I'm just selling things, and I kind of felt like I had lost my soul. Mm -hmm. Then I went into magazines, publishing, and I started getting work with magazines, and I felt more like I was telling stories again, or for the first time. Um, There's still ads to make inside of magazines, and you're still selling something, but you can do it with a story, and and, and the stories in between them, and then you are creating a product that people, you know, hold on to and and engage with and keep, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So... I felt a lot better about life after I got into publishing versus just advertising. Mm -hmm. And that's something you've ruminated on before because off camera we spoke previously about the value of art and how people value art. And you've come up with a bit of a theory about how that works. Could you share it? Yeah. Um, I think I like to quote myself. (laughs) Art is the greatest catalyst for change in the world. That's that's my thought, my belief. Um, I, I mean, we have a lot of... There are a lot of uh, things that that are catalysts for change. You know, it ha- politics happens and what what makes change. But I think the culture, when the when the popular culture is ready for an idea to change or to be formed or to be happen, it's it's usually happening because enough people have gotten behind it. And I think that movies, fashion, you know, paintings, uh, music. I think 
all of the arts, books, obviously books, journalism, even that's an art, right? All of that, I think, is what shapes our beliefs and our cultures. And when something goes trendy, I mean, this is a thing, right? Will and Grace was, um, before Will and Grace aired, I think there was, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but approximately 20% of the country was okay with gay marriage. And then by the time Will and Grace was done, it was like 60% and that movement could happen. And I'm not saying Will and Grace did it alone, but there's something to just being able to be entertained and accept a concept passively mm-hmm. and get used to it and see, oh, it's fine. <laughs> like everyone, It's just fine. Look at it. There it is. And everyone can laugh with it or whatever, right? So art helps us imbue concepts into our culture that might be resistant that we might be resistant to but then once we can get used to them and accept them then they can become laws or realities or just change that we need you're very right because i've heard will and grace and other pieces of art in media used as a touchstone Mm -hmm. uh for cultural events Mm -hmm. i know my generation does it a lot they're like well as you saw on this tv show that's when this thing was happening so i think it's really true yeah And so when I say art, I guess a lot of people might think immediately, I mean paintings, but I mean all of the art, right? I think art and creative expression and the arts, that that, that's the greatest catalyst we have for change. So so I love being in that. What have you done that you would consider was part, was being part of that catalyst for change? Um... So on a, on a branding level, which is kind of like, um, a really nice, honest propaganda. <laughs> right? Propaganda can be bad and negative and lies. I think that word that we, but I like to use that word because it it kind of quickly makes someone understand this, like a piece of design manipulates um, in, to a certain level. So as long as you're honest with it, and this is something I had to check in with myself in the ad industry a long time ago, and I just wanted to make sure I represent clients who are doing good. So, I am you are manipulating the public when you when you create a design there's some psychology there right there's symbolism we all know how we react to like a cross or a swastika or a peace sign or just a circle with rays on it a sign, you know whatever there's a lot of symbolism and we all react with different emotions and then there's a lot of psychology in advertising <laughs> so if um rounded soft things will appeal to women you know if you spray you'll see a lot of products sprayed with water they don't need to be wet it's makeup or something that uh is a sexuality reference and a female reference and it's just you know so right so there's a lot of kind of brainwashing techniques that happen in advertising um they don't always not everybody knows what they're doing there's plenty of graphic designers that aren't doing that but if you're smart about what you're doing you can put in as many elements subconsciously i don't you know So all of that long story to say that any graphic design work or branding work that I do, if I can get a client like I mentioned River Phoenix Center for Peace Building or Circle Up Center for Practical Peace Building or All in Women International, which is about peace building. So all of those. So if I'm doing really great work for them design wise, then I'm helping that cause Mm -hmm. with my design. So for design, to someone who really is only familiar with the written word and podcasts, I feel there's almost an arithmetic to it in um, having these, like, perfect geometrical shapes and things like that. And I was just – I'm not really familiar with artistry in the sense that I don't know if that's a specialized skill. Could someone who 
like you as a background in painting and other more traditional forms of art, could they easily transition into that? Or does it take, do you have to also be good at that thing specifically? Right. I think you can see in the marketplace that anyone can do it. It's, oh, <laughs> that doesn't okay. mean they can do it well. Okay. <laughs> or that doesn't mean, <laughs> it's kind of like the, if you buy a camera, you're a photographer. And if you get a desktop, you know, publicate, if you get a uh, software on your computer, now you're a desktop publisher. <laughs> so it, um, it's just how deep do you want to go into it? How good do you want to get at it? How much can, you know, but I think, honest to God, anyone that says that, like, I only draw a stick figure, I can't even draw a stick figure or whatever. Sure, you can. Anyone can do art. Anyone can do graphic design, I think, to whatever level, to how good are they, to how how will it affect other people? Will it, you know, that's that's a whole different story. And even the best, like, you know, I've got so many friends that are amazing designers, and I think I'm good. And um, even a lot of our work is just lost on the world, you know. And then some of it makes a difference. I don't know. They could just strive for a consistent level of good, of quality, as much as you can. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't stop anyone who wanted to be a designer or an artist. Well, I would encourage instead. I think it's it's easy. Well, apparently, <laughs> you did say earlier that you thought you were that good when you were in high school. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I always think I'm better than I am, so we all have to take a humble pill, right? Like I said, um, coloring book time, I thought I was, that's real art. <laughs> and then in high school, sure, I was a good art student. I've got some talent, so I was just going to go to work right after high school. I'm like, I'm just going to get a job at an ad agency, and I told my art teacher that, and she's like, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. You need to go to college. And I'm so happy I um I was Miss Dixon at Fort Lauderdale High School. If anybody out there knows who that is, I'm Shout really grateful. Shout out to Miss Dixon. <laughs> I'm really grateful because in college, I went to the Art Institute in Fort Lauderdale and for uh, advertising design. And I just kept learning what I didn't, how much I needed to learn. Like, I just kept going, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that, <laughs> you know. And um, undoubtedly, I could, I think I would love to be a student in college forever because you could just keep learning for sure. And um, I know I could be better. You know, we all get better as we as we grow and learn and live and the more we work. But, um, yeah, it's funny. I always think I'm at the top of my game and I have more to learn every day. I feel like that is the pitfall for artists, not just visual or graphic design, but any sort of art medium is they love to learn. And it's just never, it's never ceasing. And I think sometimes when people go to college, they can a little bit fall into a pit. Because it's really easy to follow that ladder up from, like, bachelor's to master's and like to keep going. But I think once you get around the end, you're like, hmm, it's time for me to get out in the field. Yeah. You know, there's a flip side to that overconfident, too, which is, like, insecurity. Because also, as an artist, I never even know if it's good enough. It's kind of both things at once, right? We And most artist friends of mine were like, is it to even know when a painting is done and does it look good yet? And is it right yet? <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have heard that a lot. I have yeah. seen people present their painting and be like, it's enough. You have to stop at some point. You yeah. have to, you have to stop adding to it. Yeah. So artists are really confident and really insecure. Well, it's vulnerable. <laughs> it's vulnerable putting your work it out there. It is. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Has there ever been a time where you've had to do something in graphic design or maybe on the side when you were doing some paintings that you've ever presented anything 
and it didn't go so well, and you were like, oh. I mean, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. There have been clients who hated something, or in college, we everything went up for critique, you know, and so people could pick your work apart or praise it. Um, I'm actually quite good with that. I'm really good at separating someone's opinion from my own self-esteem, and I'll be like, well, you know, A, if it's commercial work, the client's going to, I got to do what they want. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can only suggest what I think something should be, and then you're going to do what they want. So that's the job. The job is to execute their vision, and and there you go. But if it's like fine art and it's really a piece of you and your soul, um, it doesn't get usually as much criticism because people are sensitive to that, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what I mean I'm good at is like in the in publishing and advertising, um, not so much with paintings, but there's always critique and there's always someone not liking something or changing something or doing this or that. And I don't feel bad about it. And I just either, you know, as a creative director, I can fortunately make the choice myself a lot, but I get a lot of input and I can just take it and do what I think is some of that might be good input and some of it might not be. And I don't know, it doesn't bother me. If you had to give advice to like a younger you or other, or other artists out there, how, how would you advise them to make that separation between your own skill level and how you know you want to grow as an artist versus what people are saying to you? Um, so that that's a big that's a big concept. Um, I mean, we're always learning and growing, like we just talked about. So I think just check yourself all the time, and and then in any situation, kind of if you can analyze who's saying this cr- criticism. Where is it coming from? What does that mean? It's no—it's almost never an attack on you as a person. It's, it's just the work itself, and we're talking about something, and does it work or not, and is that a good idea or not? Or is it, you know, could I learn from it? Should I do this? Maybe this is a little better or different? Or maybe they're totally wrong, but they're the ones paying the bills, so you just have to do it. But just kind of analyze it, I guess. Step outside yourself and know it's not about you as a person. It's just about this particular piece of work. And then kind of think analytically about it, not emotionally about it. Are people generally, when they at, when they commission you, are they very specific in what they want? Or is it kind of a situation where they don't really know what they want and you have to tell them what they want? Any and all of that, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I uh, Some people really know what they want and they have got terrible ideas. <laughs> and I try to talk them out of it. <laughs> Or show them and I get it. My my best technique is do it their way and another way. If I if, I don't know, I wouldn't do two paintings if it was a painting, but if it's design or something like that, I will do it two different ways and be like, this is what you asked for. This is what I think would be a lot better, you know, and kind of work through it like that. Um, but for sure, there are people who have no idea what they want, and I like um, I like to ask a lot of questions. I like before I do. If especially if it's like a logo, a brand. So this represents everything that that company is and all of that. So I like to do a lot of um, interviewing first so that I'm really getting, again, it, there's a story behind it. There's a message. There's a meaning, that symbolism and all of that kind of stuff so that I'm not just arbitrarily, you know, making some whatever it is they want arbitrarily. I think there should always be meaning. Mm-hmm. What's your logo for your company? A little black mask. <laughs> and what is the meaning behind that? Um, so in uh, in the media, in advertising, in graphic design, in the arts, all of that is image. It's visual, right? It's visual communication that I do. 
So our tagline is the only difference between the mild-mannered civilian and their superhero alter ego is that little black mask, right? (laughs) Their identity. (laughs) Are you, so I know you mentioned that you have children. Yeah. How many? Two. Are they artistic too? Oh, they are. Um, Neither of them are doing that for a living, but they're, uh, you know, I do like, they are very creative and talented, Um, especially my daughter. She's super talented. Um, And again, like I kind of think everyone is Mm -hmm. to a certain level. It's just what will they do with it? What do you want to, how much do you want to focus on it or whatever? You've not seen my stick figures. You say that, (laughs) but you've not seen my So your talent might be in a different creative area, but there's always something, (laughs) right? I have no musical ability. I mean, we can't all do all the things. That is true. That is true. Me with a horn or a guitar sounds like screeching. It'd be terrible. (laughs) Uh, Are you the only artistic? Well, your children are artistic, but in your family, like your parents, were you the only one? My dad is an artist, and my mom, uh, again, didn't do art for a living, but she did paint and was good, really good. so. So that was very much a part of your constantly changing home. Um, I mean, she decorated really creatively, like in hippie style. <laughs> she didn't make a lot of paintings through her life. I just, I have some and they're, they're really good. It's, it's kind of weird to just maybe do half a dozen in your whole life, but have them be really good. Yeah. That's the sort of thing you hear like really famous artists doing that. Like this is, this is the body of her work. This is what she left behind. Yeah. Yeah. Were they supportive of you being an artist? Right. I didn't grow up with my dad, so... Sure. I mean, he would have been because he's an artist and he does earn, uh, has earned a living at it right now. He's just not, you know, he's retired. But um, so I'm sure he would have been. And my mom was going to be supportive of anything I wanted to do, I think. Although she was really, she had one of those strict, um, um, what do I want to say? Literal, like, art should be this way. It should be realistic. It should be, or it's not good enough, right? Like, she wasn't really free thinking with that. So I think that may have been why I was insecure to just be an artist to begin with. Like, why I went into advertising and thought I should be more practical. Mm-hmm. So supportive, but, you know, with an angle. <laughs> do you ever regret that you went to advertising and didn't try the starving artist bit just for a little bit? A hundred percent. Not that I don't love what I do. I really love what I do. But I definitely, I always give this when when young people ask for advice, like, I'm like, the biggest mistake is not having the confidence that, that I made personally, not, and I don't know what everybody's doing, but not having the confidence to really go for it. Because in the beginning, when you're young, you don't have so much responsibility, so you can make those sacrifices. So you can spend 100% of your time, if you're focused and driven, in building yourself up as an artist, you know? And then if you just think you're going to do it on the side or later in life, it's really hard to—it does take a lot of time, not just painting or creating the art, but marketing it, marketing yourself. I mean, you're a brand. you got to get yourself out there, and you got to travel maybe to, to do shows, whether that's music or art shows or, you know, it just takes time. So it's very hard to do that on the side and be as successful as if you could throw your whole self into it and just give yourself to it. What a luxury now I think that would be. And also, even in graphic design and advertising, had I, if I could do one thing differently, like throwing myself in, it would have been to not just take the first job 
that I could get, um, but wait, hold out for a better one. Intern somewhere at a bigger company when I while I don't need the money, <laughs> you know. And then then you get to a, a be- so when you can throw yourself into something when you're young, I think you can get a lot further in the rest of your life mm-hmm. than doing it little by little. No, for your whole life. I definitely agree. I'm 25, recently mm-hmm. graduated, and I feel like a lot of people underestimate how much potential you have in those early years. You know, And it's better to have tried and failed than to have not tried. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, yeah, that's it. That's the only—I almost never would say that I would change anything in my life because, you, you know, life-wise, you're like, I love everything. My kids are this, that. I wouldn't want to not have— mm-hmm. But uh, if I if, yeah if I could do anything again it would be like just unabandoned like obsessive with my art. <laughs> it's the Jesse of an alternate reality. It That's is. the life that she led. It's not so much that we regret the here and now because our life. No, never, great, never. I love life, but uh, yeah. But I would love to have the opportunity to just like just throw myself in with obsession mm-hmm. to to art. So for your non-graphic design art, what do you normally do? What do you produce? <sighs> I love to make paintings. Uh, when And anymore, I'm so busy that if I don't have a reason, like a deadline, an assignment, a show, I don't paint at all. I don't just go do it because I'm, I'm probably um, recovering from being too busy <laughs> if I have a few spare hours. But... Um, I love painting, and if that was all I did, it would be it would be awesome. I paint uh, really kind of bright, colorful, uh, maybe expressionistic paintings. Uh, usually, people, sometimes animals. I like when I paint people. I like to not do skin colors. I like to, so I'll make them pink, blue, green, yellow, white, any other color but their color. So, not that you won't recognize who that person is, but I just have this thing about wanting people to relate more. And not identify with race or something like that. Just kind of relate to the human and what they're doing in that painting versus where they came from. I don't know. I don't even know if that's effective or that works, but that's a thing that I started a long time ago and I've continued it. And I will not paint anyone flesh color unless unless I it's some commission or I've been asked to for some reason. I think I think it works. I also think it's beautiful. I think a lot of people evoke certain colors. Uh my yeah. friends and I have this little joke where like that is a blue person, that is a red person and you can just feel it. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Well part of, you know, if I paint a couple I do go, like, cool is a, like, sometimes men are usually cooler. They're not as hot of energy, right? They're, you know, and I do with hot, cool, warm, whatever, shocking, this, that. I do and think about the emotion of the, or the energy of the person. Mm-hmm. That's true. Was this uh, always sort of the type of art you gravitated towards? Or when you were younger, did you think you were going to do something differently? Because I know I've seen artist progressions on things like Twitter, Mm-hmm. Like their portfolios, and um, sometimes yeah. it's extreme. The yeah, they really pivot. I would say I have always I my mean, first paintings that I would consider real and not just assignments or whatever from college age on. My zebras were red, blue, purple, whatever. Like, <laughs> I don't think it I've sounds painted. Sounds like Lisa Frank. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever painted my David Bowie. He was like kind of yellow, green, whatever. I don't think I've ever painted anyone um, except for by assignment. I don't think I've ever done it on purpose in realistic colors. That's funny. However, my taste in art, like what I admire, what I'm inspired by, has changed a lot. I used to be obsessed with Renaissance 
um, you know, Michelangelo and Raphael and Da Vinci. I mean, they're still amazing. I'm not not obsessed with them anymore. But but then you move on and you kind of, I mean, I kind of, I'll be like in a Dali phase or a Picasso phase or whatever for different reasons. My my taste in who I think is the most amazing artist of the moment changes a lot drastically. I definitely understand that. I'm not someone who throughout my life has been very familiar with art, but as you get to know more and more artists, I feel like people's tastes become more experimental or sometimes it diverges completely from theirs because they're like, oh, that's something I've never seen before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just a byproduct of what I learn about, you know. I think about um, my friend Matt Wardell. He's the conductor, the musical director for the Ocala Symphony Orchestra. And whatever piece they're doing, they're going to play at the symphony – he gets all into it, and, I, and he kind of knows the composer and what they were going through. And he kind of, like, gets all into that story for that mm-hmm. period of time. So it may be like that with me, like, whatever it is I'm learning about at the, and for, for whatever reason. I don't have any, you know, just whatever I'm researching or whatever. Maybe that's what I love. I don't know. <laughs> have you ever sold any of your personal art? Sure. I mean, I would say probably about 75 pieces told, like, through the years, maybe. I don't, I don't have an exact count, but, yeah. Back to the conversation about value, how do you know, how can you predict the way an audience will value your artwork? Nope. <laughs> you don't know? <laughs> nope. <laughs> don't know. <laughs> Cannot predict the way an audience will value my artwork. Um, cannot do it. I don't know how to do it. You know, in a, you, can, you, can, you can look at a marketplace and you can kind of, so, there's so much in that because one, you shouldn't be painting. I think, I hope you shouldn't be painting to the audience. You should paint what you want to paint, right? In theory. Um, but you can look at a marketplace and like Ocala and you can know, well, a lot of people know me, so they're going to react. I'm going to have some uh, friend factor amount of people, but then there's going to be some strangers and some of them are going to be conservative and some are going to be that, you know, you can kind of like profile a marketplace and, and, figure out something like were I to paint some blue and green I mean blue and orange gators that would be very popular (laughs) right that's I guess what I am yeah I mean so I can predict certain things but if you just paint something because you want to and then put it in a show I have no way of knowing what anyone will really think it always surprises me what people say about art or my art no way to predict that one. <laughs> so working within the graphic design industry doesn't keep you uh, abreast of that sort of thing? Or is it just two diametrically opposed spheres? Oh, right. In graphic design, I can maybe predict. That's what I, yeah. I don't know what anyone's real taste is, but I do know what general psychology is. And so you can create things that in graphic design, it is easier to create things that will that will uh, tell a particular story or give a particular message. Like, right, you want your brand to be strong and trustworthy or you want your brand to be fun and um, inviting or, you know, what are you trying to evoke with your message? That is doable and you can do that on purpose and succeed fairly well, I think, in graphic design. I just think that a painting that is personal and, for example, I made um. On my 40th birthday, I made 40 paintings, and every one of them had a picture of me in it, but then I painted all over it and other words and other things. And I just thought, why would anybody care about these things of me? And I put them all up, and people loved them. And someone cried. She's like, that reminds me of my wedding. And someone this and someone that. Like, So, I mean, I could not predict. I have no idea what 
anyone could think about a personal painting. That's, I guess, what I meant by I have no idea. But in graphic design, it's more predictable. If you calculate what you're doing, it can, um, doesn't mean everyone's going to love it, but it can definitely evoke certain things. No, it makes sense. There's different, you have different purposes. As you Mm -hmm. said, one's propaganda, one's meant to manipulate, (laughs) and one is just, I'm just painting. I'm just painting how I feel. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. So for graphic design, what are all the services you offer people? Um, Well, the whole whole brand package, usually, um, you know, you can start with your your the the logo is always like the the cornerstone of your look, and then you have to create all these other ads. Or I don't I don't do in house videos, but I work with people. But so any I can as an art director, as a creative director, whether we do it in house or not, we do websites, all the design, all the ads, all the you know posters, banners, flyers, like just anything that is marketing related, we can do it. Um, we don't do video in-house, but I can work with people. Or we don't do radio commercials or whatever, but I can work with people. So as an art director and a creative director, and I've worked in ad agencies, I'm good at directing a whole team to go do the things they do. So most anything, can um, we can, we can um, you know, like, it's especially good if everything has continuity. So instead of going to like somewhere and making a video and it has nothing to do with this message and then you're putting an ad over there and it's a different look or a different message. I just, I love when everything has continuity. I think it's so much more effective and you have a voice, your brand has a voice and a look and a feel and a united message, even when you're saying different things. Um, so I'm, I'm really good at that, at the overall vision and then being the core director for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your purpose is just to obviously assign people their roles and make check their work, but also make sure you guys are maintaining the brand identity for whomever you're making. Yeah, and brainstorming, copywriting, coming up with really good ideas, a better headline. You know, a logo is not a headline. Have a good headline. If I could do one thing for Ocala, I want to bring good old-fashioned ideas back. <laughs> you know, digital advertising has taken us in a world of clickbait and kind of crummy ads and just kind of like discount or this weird video or I don't know the weird stuff is thrown in front of us all the time um I would just love a good concept goes so far you know telling a story with your ad I always think that an ad should serve its own purpose like whether it's informing entertaining you know it does something it does it shouldn't just be a picture of you with your sign. <laughs> Sorry, whoever you are, if you're listening, and that's what you want. <laughs> no, and it's, I mean, I think it could be helpful to have a, a a picture of the building, maybe. But we all can Google Maps our way into anywhere. So more important is like the product you offer or the the ability you have that no one else has. You know, the unique selling proposition, your personality of your brand, why people want to go to you and stuff. More important than. You know, I mean, a team picture, it's kind of cool, but it doesn't really make me think that you're going to do my teeth or hair or whatever it is that well. <laughs> so so I'm just a fan of a good old-fashioned concept, you know? <laughs> no, it's true, and it's very appreciated. We had Judge Lori Cotton here, and all I could go on and on about is how cute her signs were. Right. Mm-hmm. She had a personality with it. Absolutely. Yep. I agree. Now, if, is there anything that you would like to tell the greater Ocala community about the work that you do? Well, I think that anybody who's worked with me knows that I'm 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 great at interpreting what 
you want or what a client wants. I love making people happy. And I don't think just getting the work done and getting paid for it is enough. I want like literally to make people happy. So I want them to be proud of this thing or I want it to work for them. Um, I mean, everything that I've been talking about, how I, I like something to mean, I like think everything should mean something and a story and everything. That's, it's really important. So for us in my company, it's, you know, it's not just slapping something together that might look cute. If there's, hopefully there should be a reason. And, you know, if that matters to you, or if you didn't know it mattered and now you do, then you can, I can uh, do that. Um, and the other thing we have is like, Go 52 events, and I really haven't really been talking about that, but just being in the media, I love to be a resource. So this is just all the events, and the reason I'm saying it is uh, it's sort of a charitable thing. Like, it doesn't make any money. Everybody can put their events on there, but there are so many charitable events, and I just sort of thought this town is so charitable, and I really wanted to, like— get together with all of these charitable you know when you get like I can't go to all the things this weekend there's so many things I don't even know what they are or you're like is there anything anyway these events are important not just because they exist but because most of them are ways to raise money for charities and we live in um, an era where charitable services are really helping the community run because we don't necessarily the government isn't necessarily going to take care of it, and not everybody necessarily has enough, you know, need. Their needs aren't all being met. So charities are kind of like an important thing anyway. Um, so just to kind of pull all of that together and go 52 is what I'm aiming to do. It's just starting. It's it's really not even fully there yet. But so if anybody wants to hit on up on there and see all of the work that's the charitable work, by work I mean events for charities <laughs> that's being done. How would people find that information and information on your company and your art? Oh, yeah. Go52go52.events is that website. And I'm Little Black Mask. You can find me anywhere. You can search anywhere for Little Black Mask Media and you can talk to me. Yeah. Yeah, everyone go check Jessie out. She does a lot of great work. And thank you for visiting us today. Thank you so much, Jessie, for talking art with me for Very fun. <laughs> over half an hour. It's fun. <laughs> um, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Taylor Strickland. And we'll be sure to put links up for this video in the description. If you want to learn more about us, please visit www.localamag.com. Thank you again for joining us on the Locale Podcast, where we focus on connections through stories. Bye! Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Locala Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead, like, share, and download. Your support is truly appreciated.